Welcome to Property Talk from Louise's Lounge. My name is Louise Heatley and I'm Managing Director of Exclusive Links Real Estate. With over 17 years in the market, I know a few things and I know a few people. And through our podcast series, it's an opportunity for us to give you some insights into the Dubai real estate market, discuss some interesting topics, have some guest attendees, and it's an opportunity for you to meet our team. Today we have on our podcast, Cynthia Trench, Principal at Trench & Associates DMCC. Cynthia qualified as a solicitor in 1986 in Hong Kong before she moved to Dubai in 1989. And she specializes in corporate and property law, as well as private client. In 1996, she obtained her license from Dubai Ruler's Office for the first female expatriate licensed legal consultant. And in 2004, she was awarded Best Service Provider by His Royal Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum from his establishment for young entrepreneurs. Good morning, Cynthia. Morning, again. Um, welcome to the Property Talk from Louise Islam. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Giving your time up and talking about some topics that I love to talk about, about our buyers, our clients. And you've got a lot of advice, so let's get straight into it. If you can talk us through that first checkpoint that buyers should be considering when they're buying in the secondary market. Um, in the secondary market in particular, you're mm. talking about a contract that is going to be drawn up by the agents for the sellers, usually, and it's a fairly standard contract called Contract F. Uh, however, uh, what I find quite alarming, and you must tell me why people do that, mm. some agents, not everyone, would actually say, you can't amend, there's a standard contract, you can't amend it. And of course you can, mm. <laughs> because right at the bottom of the contract, it says additional terms. Mm. And you can put additional conditions and you can put a separate addendum to go with the document. Mm. So for the buyer, you have to be aware of the fact that you can make amendments. Mm. That's the first point. Absolutely. And I think it depends on the terms of the sale that you have to really put those terms in there and you have to have it a legal term that actually balances the, the contract yeah. depending on the situation. So the second point is um, it depends on whether the seller is a company and whether the buyer is a company. Is that quite complicated in. if it's like a seller who is a company? It's a little bit more complicated. Mm. Um, if the seller is a company, it depends on who owns the company because the DLD, Dubai Land Department, wants to see the chain of ownership until you get to the ultimate beneficial owner called the mm. UBO. And if they don't get that, then you, the transaction won't go through. And we've had one seller who had um, ownership through trusts and that was thrown out. So he actually had to unwind the trust oh. and get himself as the owner. So that took at least four to six months. Oh, wow, so there's too many layers yeah. of, of people. Okay. In the appreciating market, of course, the buyer's going, yeah, that's not a problem, really. <laughs> Keep it going. Yeah, as long but as in can. a depreciating market, the, the buyer would back out. Yeah. Um, so that's when the seller is a company. When the buyer is a company, again, we can forewarn the buyer, don't use a trust use a very simple uh, corporate uh, situation where you mm. have very simple documents because the more documents, the more layers they are, all the documents need to be notarized, legalized and translated. Mm. <coughs> so when you're talking about one set of company documents, that's easily around 
five to 10,000 dirhams. Mm, so that's disgusting. a lot of money to cough up for one particular corporate layer. And the most important thing about that is the time taken. So the buyer has to have all the corporate documents, the special power of attorney if he's not flying in here, all notarized, legalized where he's located. Mm. That easily takes two to three weeks, easily. Mm. Now, of course, some of the agents says you can do virtual notarization through the Dubai notary, which is much quicker, but when it's a company, you can't really do that. You yeah. have to go through this whole rigmarole. Mm. So why are people buying in company names? Is there such a benefit for it? Because there's obviously a lot of complex paperwork, as you've said. Many different reasons. Sometimes yeah. they want to ring fence from liabilities of their own. Mm. Sometimes they want everything to be confidential, which is quite understandable nowadays with so many high net worth individuals mm. fearing that there might be another Panama paper leakage. They prefer to have things done properly. Mm. Uh, and sometimes for tax reasons, you know, so everyone has their, got, got different their different reasons. Reason. Doing that. So let's look at the extra steps a buyer needs to consider when a power of attorney is representing a seller. Are there extra steps there for a okay. buyer? So um, as you may have heard, there have been scams. Uh, scams in terms of a person popping up and saying, I am the power of attorney holder mm. or the attorney in fact of a person. Um, so the buyer, unfortunately, being unaware of what's going on in the UAE and laws, they don't check it properly. So what should you check? You should first of all, of course, check that the title is real. You can easily check that at any of the trustees' office because mm. now the DLD uh, title deed has got a QR code so that you just check that. And secondly, you should check the power of attorney that it's actually authentic, uh, it's an authentic document. Mm. And you can check that again at the notary public or ask a lawyer to check it for them. And the identity of the various persons should be revealed, the seller and the uh, attorney in fact. So mm. passport copies should be obtained. Mm. And that's what we call KYC, know your client. Yeah, and it's the due diligence you should do as part of the process before you enter into transactions. Exactly. Okay. So once that is done and everything is properly documented, that should be also reflected in the contract itself. Uh, and of course, at the time of the closing, the attorney, in fact, would pop up and do the signature uh, and all the forms that's required by the DLD. Mm. So that's, that's not actually a very difficult thing to handle. But unfortunately, some people have been scammed. I have a client now who bought into Albasha um, and the attorney took the, all the money from the previous owner uh, pretending to be the seller and uh, he took the money from the buyer and he ran off so the buyer obviously had nothing uh, and it was an absolute scam yeah oh, it's a shame to hear but as you say there is processes that you can follow to actually try and exactly avoid all yep. of that if you do it right um, so back in June um, we had uh, Arash Zad on the podcast and he was talking about when clients are buying properties with sitting tenants mm. and all the complications. So I'm sure you've had uh, your fair share of, of complications there with uh, certain clients. So could you want, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on what buyers really need to be aware of when they are buying a tenanted property? Yeah, so first of all, you cannot evict uh, a tenant from a property unless you have served that tenant with a 12 months notarized um, le legal notice mm. at the very least 
If the tenant has been in breach, for example, not paying rent on time, damaging the place, etc., having uninvited other subtenants, then you have to prove that, and then you can serve a notarized legal notice with 30 days' notice. But if the tenant says, I don't think I'm going to move, you have to, you have to kick me out properly, mm. then with the evidence of the legal notice, then you have to file a complaint at the rent dispute centre, uh, which is, again, in itself a process. You have to pay fees, you have to file everything in Arabic, and actually they're very helpful there. Mm. And they can actually help you without even lawyers attending mm. to have the eviction notice done. And the court bailiff will then go and evict the person from the premises. Yeah. But you can imagine that it's a bit of palaver. Yeah, um, it's inconvenience, it's a headache. Yeah. It can be quite stressful for people, even though it is a good process. Exactly, so for the buyers, if you don't know the process, and for some reason the seller says, oh, don't worry, the tenant has already given me an email saying that he's gonna leave, uh, let's say we're buying now and he's gonna leave by December, and come December he doesn't, he's a sitting tenant, then you have to, as the new landlord, you have to then serve the 12-month notice, which is then, of course, a nightmare yeah. for the buyer. You're waiting for that time, you've got to go into the property knowing the rights and that, unless the legal side has been yeah. followed, people can retract and, and change their mind. Yeah. What about the scenario where the sellers give the notice to sell the property legally, correctly, as a minimum of 12 months, that can pass to the new buyer? Yes, but then the tenant still could be a sitting tenant. Mm. So what you can do, what you can do is have the tenant, and there have been tenants who are willing to do this, to sign a notarized undertaking to leave on the specific date. Okay, okay, and that would hold up if they actually yeah. sign that, exactly. to actually leave earlier. Yeah. Okay, um, if a tenant, so a lot of the cases where an owner comes in, there is already a tenant, and there may be post-dated checks for the rest of the tenancy term that the buyer, as the new landlord, is taking over. What happens if um, the tenant doesn't change them? So they, the current mm. owner literally has no recovery of rent for the next term in the way of post-dated checks. So that should be a condition in the contract on, of sale. Mm. If you don't have that a condition precedent, at the time of closing, all the checks must be replaced, then unfortunately is the, it's the buyer's uh, stupidity, if you okay. don't mind me saying. So you could actually say to the seller, you bring the checks, change Otherwise in we're not closing. Name. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's a good condition to include just to safeguard. Very important. Safeguard, yeah. okay. But if the um, buyer um, or the tenant doesn't pay the checks, they can still follow the laws in regards to demanding 30 days for the rent. Exactly. Yeah, so there's a, another safeguard in that respect. Correct. Um, so there's often a little bit of a, a, a love-hate relationship um, between lawyers and brokers. That's not me, of course, not Cynthia. Um, but why would we suggest that a buyer should engage a lawyer as opposed to or including, obviously, their agent to represent them? What's the benefits? Uh, well, the disadvantage is that, let's look at it from your point of view, is that, of course, when you involve a third party, whether it's a lawyer or another agent, they delay things. And most agents are like, going, oh, I want my money tomorrow, or the seller wants their money by next week. So it's usually a time issue, and they don't want somebody to come in and queer the pitch and start dragging things. So uh, we usually say to the uh, 
to the other side or even to our client who's we would send me an email by 5 p.m. He says, I want it tonight. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, then I would say to them, look, it, it is important that you understand two things. First of all, good lawyer should never be free and be able to do things immediately mm -hmm. because if that is the case, then that person doesn't have any work to do, right? <laughs> Secondly, um, when you rush things, you'll forget certain important issues and I need to take proper instruction. So at least give the lawyer at least two days to finalize um, the review of the contract F and to add and augment at least the, the additional conditions. We actually work with a lot of the larger real estate agents like yourselves, luxury property, um, all the big names. And it's nice to work with them because mm -hmm. we actually have their terms already yeah, and we understand. just go tweak 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 uh, and we charge a client the same amount of money <laughs> um, and two hours later we we would have finished the review mm. and actually we could turn it around within a day mm. so everyone's happy because the, the the other side knows that we've seen it and we've pointed out sometimes very important things like for example the buyer's documents will not be ready etc mm, so everyone's for rent yeah, yeah everyone's expectations are managed yeah. properly I think that's the main thing is having the expectations managed and then exactly. timeframes don't tend to impede as yeah. opposed to, as you say, everybody's in a rush to get everything yeah. done. Um, so talk us through the process when a buyer is purchasing a property uh, that's owned in the company name. So the seller is a company. We might have already kind of touched on that a little bit before so, with the layers. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, if the seller is a company that's got many layers mm. and there's a trust at the top, usually you'll find DLD saying, you're not showing me who is the UBO, we're not going to approve this mm. transaction. What can the buyer do if they find the perfect property, but it's in a company name, and as you say, there's that long period of checks, is there anything the buyers can do yep, in that the buyer place? can go to Trench and Associates and say, <laughs> Trench and Associates, please speak to the seller because they need to yeah. do something about their documents. Yeah. So for example, we had a client who had a BVI company at the top and unfortunately they didn't know the process. They signed the uh, MOA or the contract, it's a Russell Kamer property actually, mm. with the buyer and they didn't know what to do. By the time they came to me, six months have passed. Oh. And I said, you have to have the certificate of incumbency. And that document has to be notarized and legalized. Mm. So another two months later, we got the document. But of course, that has lapsed. The co contract has lapsed. So you have mm. to do an addendum. So you have to have a very understanding buyer, of course. Mm. And if the buyer is not understanding and all this has gone on and the, co the certificate of incumbency then uh, lapse as well because it's only got a three months or six months validity. It's back to the then start. the buyer could block the, the, the further sale because the, the addendum or the MOA has expired. Mm. And that becomes the seller's responsibility as well. And then the, the buyer can block the sale yeah. and it becomes an absolute nightmare and I have that right now. So fortunately the uh, seller's agent is very proactive and she applied for a court order to unblock the transaction, which mm. is a great relief because mm. I act for the seller. Yeah. So it's a nightmare if you don't know what you're doing. I think as you say, it's from that onset, managing expectations, get in touch, let you have a look, 
sort out the paperwork, know the time frames, how long it's going to take, exactly. so you have a good understanding of what's actually involved in that time frame. Because yeah. um, I agree, when it's the market starts changing, which it can yeah. in a three to four month period, our market oh, can change. And that, that then conflicts with the contracts. Also, don't forget that sometimes you have a biased circumstance that he's flown in mm. here, he's rented a short-term lease, he doesn't want to sit for another six months waiting yeah. for the property to be free, if you know what I mean. Yeah, And spend all that rent. Yeah, yeah. does go get involved in that. So talk us through um, some clients are purchasing properties for the investor visas. So can you talk us through a little bit about the options? for owners of properties. As you know now there's all these different varieties of gold, golden visas and they've actually uh, taken the minimum down to two million. So if you have actually a mortgage free or the net amount of for the value of the investment is over two, uh, mil, two million or over then you can definitely apply for a golden visa. Mm -hmm. So that's lovely because first of all um, you don't need a sponsor Secondly, you can actually come in once a year now or once every few years. There's no longer the six-month requirement for you to come in to validate the visa. Thirdly, as you know, there's now all sorts of uh, wonderful benefits, you know, with mm. a card. You have discounts here and there. And you can dine at certain restaurants. Have, that you, applied free. For, have you applied for one? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I moved to JLT only last year, mm. and that was a huge effort because I have to shift everyone from mainland to JLT and spent about 4,500 dirhams per person in order mm, to do that. Gosh. So having spent that and I've got a three-year visa, I'm going to wait to until the the, then and then I'm going yeah. to do it. It does allow you, the golden visa does allow you to work in Dubai as No, well. you have to then apply for a separate work permit. Okay, so the golden visa is more you coming Just in and a resident staying, yeah. but you still need a work permit on top of that. Correct. Okay. To them. Um, so COVID um, brought around a lot of changes <laughs> and I'm sorry, just recovering. So it's even nicer that you're here today. Um, did bring around a lot of changes. Um, you know, myself personally, I feel like we're still adopting a lot of those. Um, but in relation to buyers, what is effectively, what were the benefits that were brought in and what's still in place now? Um, I think the whole uh, attitude that the UAE has adopted is the main uh, you know, advantage that all the buyers, anyone coming from abroad can see. Because first of all, there's now no restrictions. Um, there's no PCR test requirement to come in. Um, they've eased a lot of the visa requirements for incoming tourists and investors. You can actually have a special investor uh, short-term tourism visa as well. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly is that they've made things hopefully a little bit more easy. So if, as you, if you've been in Dubai as long as I have. How long I, have you been in Dubai? 33 years. Actually, I did announce it since 89. Oh yeah, you're yeah. a bit more than me. <laughs> 96 I was, so yeah, <laughs> so, a lot more than me. So if you've been in Dubai as long as I have, you would remember the days when DLD was the only place that handled all the transaction. Mm. And you have to climb several floors to see that particular person who was particularly nice <laughs> because all the others were a little bit less. It's who you uh, know, you had your favorite to yeah, go yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. So now, fortunately, they have um, subcontracted it out to all these trustees' office, which is mm. fantastic. And uh, these trustees, most of them are if not university qualified, they are very, very 
um, very efficient, efficient and, and they understand the corporate documents, the multiple layers, mm -hmm. they understand what's a UBO, and they work with us. And, and usually if we have a transaction, we're signing, let's say, this week, but we know that the closing is not until mid-September. We would have got all the documents over to the trustee's office by now yeah. to check what's, what's a problem and then get everything uh, ready for the mid-September closing. So that's the second thing that's good. Fees, as you know, if you remember several years ago, they increased it to 4% and we were like, oh. In, that's back in 2013, yeah. actually. Can you believe how long ago that was? Yeah, from um, two to four. And, and then fortunately, they've now introduced the 0.125% if you were transferring to um, your own immediate family mm. or to yourself in a corporate structure, let's say. So the, uh, the fees are actually quite reasonable. It's not ri ridiculously high as in other countries like UK, mm. stamp duty and so on. Mm. So we've got the advantages. So I don't really see there being a disadvantage. So really there's hardly any disadvantage. So the, there's a lot of uh, very advantageous points mm. that really draw the buyers mm. to come to Dubai. And I really um, feel the, the benefit of the remote power of attorneys Oh, that's yes. a great process. Yeah, the virtual um, one. You know, the long time ago, we're doing that whole notarizing, sending it, solicitors, foreign commonwealth offices back to Dubai. And it's nice, nice quite proce yeah. good process now. Yeah. So I think that encourages a lot of people to, you know, uh, easily be able to invest in Dubai from afar. That's true. As well, yeah. yeah. And um, we did cover on wills before about protecting owners and their UAE assets on a previous episode. But is there anything else you would like to add that's quite pertinent? I know you were very involved in the DIFC laws yeah. as well in 2013. So you maybe can talk to us a little bit about that and obviously well, the buyer's options. Um, I have, having been here for so long, I saw that there was a huge influx of will writers um, in the 200s, 2000s you know, from 2002 onwards. And there were then a huge amount of cases where the clients unfortunately went nowhere with these so-called wills because mm. they were not uh, legislated. So I started knocking on the various government departments doors starting from, let's say 2010, 2012, 2014, 13, right up to that point and unfortunately didn't really get anywhere. It started with the Abu Dhabi Chamber and Dubai Chamber. Um, they had their own legislation to worry about at that point to draw up. So I finally went to the DIFC and I met up with Sandy Shipton, a very well-known character um, who worked for the DIFC before. And he said, why don't you speak to Mark Beer? And of course, Mark was a little bit reluctant at first and then I said, do you know that um, I think the DIFC will earn a lot of money out of this? And they went, and oh, they, right. And <laughs> they prick up, okay, let's listen. And then they introduced the new legislation um, uh, by 2015. So that was a really, really wonderful thing because you have a common law jurisdiction monitoring the registration of wills, which is actually very rare in the world even today, mm -hmm. uh, and signing is virtual. Uh, so there's a lot of very, very advantageous points, uh, very innovative indeed. So virtual registration, um, it's registered with the registrar of the DIFC. It's in a common law jurisdiction. 
Obviously, it's for non-Muslims, so unfortunately, Muslims can't go and sign. But it really dispenses with any doubts at all that there would be a dispute. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's one of certainty. Mm -hmm. So they have to go with the will and what what, is what they've brought in there, exactly. and there's no disputes on yeah. that. And they have been effectively, um, unfortunately, effectively implemented. Those have been enforced. followed now. Yeah, yeah been there's enforced. been a few dozen probate cases since then. It's actually in a public registry, mm. um, and they do take. Unfortunately, people think that you know, uh, when you have a will, everything will be like that. All wills take about three to six months anywhere in the world to probate. Mm. So it does take a little bit of time. So there's always things that you can do prior to your death that you can actually manage, which we can talk about another time. But when you do have a will, it will dispense with all that uncertainty mm -hmm. and it will go to the person to you whom want, you want to so give. So you're really looking after your fam family and your interests. Yeah, yeah. or charities or yeah. somebody else or siblings, yeah. whomever that you wish. Well, well done for being part of that. I think a lot of people out there will be very thankful that have their DIFC registered and uh, great to hear you are part of that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I um, love that advice and touched on a lot of things I think people are very interested to hear about. And while it's a very strong buyer's market, there's always things they need to take care of and uh, look out for their interests. So Great. thank you for coming on and I hope you will come back again soon. Well, hopefully with a better voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did great. No coughing. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you for tuning in today on our episode, Property Talk from Louise's Lounge. Hope you enjoyed the chat and we hope to see you again soon and as always please do let us know if you have any suggestions, questions or comments. Thank you.